Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. A libertarian president? Well, Javier Malay of Argentina has won that title with a strong electoral victory that overcame a political dynasty called the Justicialist Party. Argentinians were looking for an economic savior, and Malay was very direct about the scapegoat, who to blame, for the nation's hyperinflation. He proposed some radical solutions to help Argentinians flourish, and the voters agreed with him. Some of his proposals are music to the libertarian's ear, but some of his social views, not so libertarian, and his campaign was far less than gracious. Obviously, this watershed moment is ripe for the ready, willing, and eager comments of career libertarians, and fortunately, Grace Arkey is home to the leader of the Grace-based new libertarian movement, oh. Jim Babka. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, I hope I can live up to that. And uh, congratulations on saying justicialist. Oh, that took me a few tries. You're going to have to explain yes. that for listeners, of course. <laughs> we will get to that. Uh, yes, we'll get to it. So, extreme right-wing libertarianism? My my head is spinning, man. Yeah, so you, you obviously read the headlines, right? I read the headlines. Yeah, they're trying to make this one work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what the heck that means. It's a um, political thirst trap. Yeah, libertarians libertarians have this uh, funny joke they like to tell that they want to take over the world just so they can leave you alone. Right. Right? <laughs> Whereas, you know, anybody that's extreme right wing or extreme left wing, they're not interested in leaving anybody alone. Quite the contrary. I mean, the, the whole, they're, they're interested in the delicious tears of their enemies, right? Right, right. Yeah. So uh, there is, there is no such thing as, as a extreme right-wing libertarian, but it, it just, it, it's, it's, it's word salad. It, yeah, totally. And, and it's designed to demonize. It's not designed to be gracious. It's designed to demonize. Scapegoat. They're setting it up right now. Yeah. Has this guy got a chance? I mean. Or maybe we better start back. Is he really a libertarian? Well, I think we should dissect that into some detail today. And I think yeah. the place to start is to say, what is a libertarian? And this is a topic, obviously, as the co-creator of the Zero Aggression Project, which started this show, you know, which posts this show, I should say, um, yeah. zeroaggressionproject.org. We promote the show through there and, and, uh, and host every episode through there. And the Zero Aggression Project is based upon the Zero Aggression Principle, which said that it's wrong. Uh, we should zero out, as it were, uh, initiated force and excessive violence to uh, as, as means for achieving social goals, uh, especially political ones. So uh, libertarian, there's there's a lot of different types. And, and this is one of the reasons I, I really wanted to have this conversation with you today, Bill, because it's this is going to be important on two levels today that there are nuances in things we can say a lot of things we can make some declarations about certain types and we can generalize 
But within those generalizations exists a lot of different people with varied views. And there are a lot of different types of libertarians. Um, the, the most typical libertarian is, an, is what's called a natural law libertarian. Yeah, yeah uh, I get that. Typically, they're constitutionalists. They believe in rights, that every oh. human being is endowed with rights, and that those rights come with them as part of the package, whether they come from God or there's some other source that they come up with for that. But they believe that every human being has rights. It's a very American-sounding thing because it's very consistent with kind of the founding view of the com country found in the Declaration of Independence. And they generally want a limited government limited to the what the Constitution says. So that's kind of general libertarianism. And that most libertarians, most libertarian-leaning people are in that general direction. Yes. There's a whole bunch of, you know, nuanced types of, you know, hyphenated libertarians. I, we've talked here on this show about human respect, which is an emerging philosophy that is focused on human flourishing. What does it take for a human to flourish? And it argues that humans do not flourish under coercion, uh, that the way humans flourish is when they're able to work together voluntarily. So uh, that's human respect, libertarianism, uh, objectivists. An objectivist, uh, that's the, the philosophy of Ayn Rand. You'll hear a lot of people yeah. associating libertarianism and Ayn Rand. Uh, Ayn Rand believed that you have uh, you have life, you have certain needs to to do or achieve certain things in life. Uh, she summed this up in the term selfishness. You had your own interests to pursue, and if you're unable to pursue your interests, if you're unable to be fully free, can't really have a free society either. That's called objectivist. That's objectivist. Uh, that sounds yeah. more radical than right. Now, the one that Javier Malays had stuck to him and that he has openly embraced, and that we should unpack a tiny bit, is anarcho-capitalist, which I think is the hyphenation of two of the worst ways to go about describing yourself politically to anyone. <laughs> Did he do that, or self-label, or was... This is a, this is a, a, a label that uh, originates in America. Um, it's really probably Murray Rothbard, the economist, who probably coined the term. Uh, but everybody who's in the anarcho-capitalist movement, he's kind of considered the patron saint or founding father of it. Uh, uh, Murray died in the mid nineties. And, uh, but before then he wrote prolifically on a lot of subjects, not just economics. And he, uh, laid out, uh, a system of libertarianism that is based on property rights. The core of it is property. So every question boils down to asking or asking yourselves who, who owns the property at the owns moment. The property. Right. Is this is this a Milton Friedman branch of libertarianism? No, that's uh, Milton would be uh, a different type of eco economics. There's okay. Austrian versus Chicago. So the this is Austrian economics that we're talking about here. And in, in, uh, with the anarcho-capitalists, the Chicago school was much more uh, mainstream. They're influenced not just by Murray Rothbard, but by guys like Ludwig von Mises and Frederick Hayek. Got it. And okay. all of these guys are guys that came up. There were there were words that were uttered by Malay while he was campaigning. Yes. And in the Rothbardian version of this, which is highly influential on another American character or politician, which is Ron Paul, in that version of libertarianism, uh, they are very concerned about uh, the control and rule uh, by money, the ability to control what money is, what its value is, uh, to favor certain parties over others in that valuation through schemes like central banks. They're anti-central banks. That's a highlight of their policy application of their views. Got and it. it's okay. a big, big issue in Argentina right now that sure. has an incredibly high uh, inflation. Because they've been printing money like crazy to yeah. cover their debts. 
Yeah. Now, if you if you start to take libertarianism, I just want to say one more thing about libertarian. If you start to take libertarianism, I gave you all these basic philosophical views, but they all end up in kind of a very similar place, and that is that they want to downsize the government. I happen to have started an organization called Downsize DC, right? There you go. That meant that we wanted to see uh, less regulation and more freedom. It meant that we wanted to see uh, reducing of, of government spending dramatically. I used to argue when I was starting Downsize DC that if you took all the money that the government collects in, in cash and you piled it high like autumn leaves and then set them on fire, you'd still be better off than you would be if they spent it. The spending's the problem. So there's a tax and spend party in Washington. There's a borrow and spend party in Washington. The problem is the spending. And as you're going to see, that's going to become very important to Malay as well. Uh, but all of these all of these views would support putting much more emphasis on natural competition, free people acting in the marketplace, able to exchange uh, goods and services, able to compete with one another uh, to deliver products and services and, and to address social needs. Okay, so social needs, because that, I think, is at the core here of what's happening yeah. in Argentina. Yep. And just to be like the guy in the room with the hard question, <laughs> an, ar an anarcho-capitalist suggests that capitalist approaches to social problems are preferred to government approaches to social problems. Anarcho stands for anarchy. Anarchy, they mean it in the most classical sense. So they mean it, uh, they have to fight to try to explain themselves. This is one of the reasons I think the term is so weak. But they have to try to explain to, that they're not really, they're not bomb throwers, right? They're yeah. not radicals in that sense. They're radicals in the sense they believe that the more government you have, the more trouble you have. So in reverse, the less government you have, the less trouble you have. Like we should get to anarchy, which is a state where everyone owns themselves and rules themselves and can can negotiate their uh, relationships with others. So it's, it's a more responsible version of, as you say, the classical form of anarchy. Yeah, so anarchy, is anarchy is just no rulers, right? right? So if you have, a, if you have a, a, a oligarchy, that's your elite ruling. If you have a monarchy, that's a king or some kind of royal figure ruling. If you have democracy, that's the demos, that's everyone participating in a vote to rule. And they're saying, wait a minute, why do we have to have somebody ruling? Let's just have none. Yeah. So that's that's the approach that they're talking. Now, at capitalism, that is the system, is the social system that they're advocating in place of it, Got which it. is where free exchange of goods occurs uh, and people have property. They own and exchange property. And we depend upon people to do the right thing or by not doing the right thing to be eliminated from the equation by, by simply taking themselves out of it, by becoming yeah, they, impossible they, they, to work with. They believe that the natural forces are more powerful in terms of governing and that what government does is it tries to suspend some of these natural forces from being able to work in favor of an oligarchy or some other, you know, elite frequently. Yeah, exactly. Some Somebody who has their hands on the levers for everybody. Yes. Right. So they, uh, they believe that that if naturally we would all maximize our freedom. Okay. So in this, in this, in this picture, which, by the way, is the first time that I've heard libertarianism sort of addressed and encapsulated in under five minutes, so that it's understandable by the common dude <laughs> or dudette. Um, in this picture, 
where did, where is Malay? How does he fit? Well, so he he clearly articulated the anarcho-capitalist economic approach. Yeah. He was he was very forthright about this, not just positively and negatively. And his negative speech is ugly, uh, particularly even just by simple American standards, it's ugly. Uh, he said things that were very crass about his uh, political opponents, uh, used rude characterizations of them that sold very well. They were very attractive to a group of people who were supporting him. They picked up on this and loved the fact that he was was taking it to him. So, you know, for those who have been whose delicate sensibilities have been offended by the likes of Donald Trump, you ain't seen nothing uh, compared to what he did down there. Now, it's a different culture and a different way of speaking. True. Uh, another Central American politician that I watched uh, talking, who happens to be female, who's running, uh, may, is likely to be a candidate in her own country for president, uh, was pointing out that she would not be able in a Latin American country to talk that way. Uh, there are different standards for how men and women can talk. This is how men talk. It's not how women talk. Uh, he engaged in what was is normal political dialogue over there. Uh, he did not try to uh, glamorize or pretend that he was something. So he was very blunt. And when I say he was blunt, I want to be clear, positive and negative. What do I mean? Positive in that he had a vision, like the one we just discussed. Yes. Negative in that he was very clear who was to blame for having put them in this situation in the first place. But to fully round out and answer your question about is he really libertarian, it's a coalition type of system. It's a parliamentary system. And in making that coalition, he decided to take the side, uh, take a more right-leaning side in the culture war. Because it tends, just tends that the people who understand free market economics better on balance between the two camps uh, of right and left are the right. The right tends to do a better job with economics than the left does. And so he found allies over there or people that were open and receptive to his message. And he found that he was able to tap some anger and sentiment on that side as well. Um, so... Uh, you know, it brings me to this point, and I want to say this out loud to, to everyone listening here because we don't realize how good we've got it. And that is that culture war battles are a luxury. This okay. is a country that has their key issue is that inflation has gotten this freak, has been commonly above 100%. It's been as high as 140%. So I want you to imagine the following scenario. Just to really get everybody in a sense of why a man like this would get the attention he got and why he won his election by a wide margin. He did so because it's not uncommon for a, a working class or, or poor family in Argentina. Poverty has gone staggeringly high. It went in the last decade from 5 to 40%. So we're talking about 40% of the population is in the boat that I'm about to describe right now. You get your check, and then you have to spend all of the money right away because the purchasing power of the money for the check you just cashed in just a few days will not be worth as much as it is now. And then to make matters worse, because of various reforms and proposals that have been put forth by the government to control inflation, one of the things that they did is they put a limit as to how much any one person can buy in the store. So this becomes an entire family outing. The paycheck arrives. The entire family gets to the store as quickly as possible. They break up the list so that they can all buy what's needed for their family for the week. And they've got to do it now 
because it will not be worth as much if they wait a few days. Now imagine that's days. your life here in America. Right. Imagine 40% of the population had to think that way, right? And this is what he's coming in to address. So there's people saying, well, he has said some bad things on trans issues. Well, you know what? That all takes second place to eating, paying the rent, okay? Regular people want to be empathetic, but they have, can't be empathetic when they've got that much economic pressure on them. Yes, I see what you're saying now. It takes all the air out of the room. Mm-hmm. And in 10 years, so 5%, what, what is this? I mean, this is a crazy question, but what is a sustainable level of poverty in a country? Uh, you you know, actually would want it to be lower than, than that, although it depends on how you're measuring the number. I mean, right. that, that would, that's a factor as well. But based on their official estimates, that's what it is. So that's economic. But can you imagine the social and behavioral health stresses on the system when 40% yes. of the people are living in that kind of a place? Yes. And so... When someone comes along and speaks plainly, that person's and, and can explain, articulate who's to blame and why they did what they did, and then say, I've got a better solution. And they can spell that out too. And they can quote economists that have books that you can go read. All by the way, all the works of Hayek, all the works of Mises, all the works of Rothbard are are in Spanish. They're all available. So yeah. you're able to quote this material, you're able to put that out there and share it and say, this is, this is what's happening. So, you know, I'm sitting here, I, the, the reason I contacted you and said, we got to talk about this is I'm watching uh, a show where they're talking about the Atlas Network and it's spread into Latin America and Africa. The Atlas Network is a group of free market think thinkers uh, funded here mostly by uh, Americans, but other people around the globe as well who have who want to export uh, the benefits of free markets to the world. And so they've helped build think tanks. And Javier Malay is a product of some of the work that's gone in in Argentina there. And this was presented in in breathless language, like this is some kind of like uh, junta. You know, they're overthrowing yeah. the government. Right? They, they're, Global cabal it, trying to yeah, take over. Yeah, they're, they're just, they're uh -huh. conspiring. There's this big conspiracy or whatever. No, all they're trying to do is make sure that there's, there are people who are putting out white papers, who can make media appearances to talk about these ideas in public forums so that people can consider these ideas. And one of the spokespeople that emerged in this was Javier Malay. And Javier Malay then has to take it to a whole nother level himself. There's no American conspiracy that creates Javier Malay. Javier Malay is a guy who has the ability to communicate. He is the right guy at the right time to communicate that message. If you take away the economic situation there, Javier Malay isn't going to be that guy anymore. He's not the right guy anymore. Uh, Javier Malay is able to step in, and he was willing to take some risks, some social risks, to do what he did. But there's no American, I mean, just uh, the, the breathless stupidity of this that a think tank somehow or other articulates into trying to take over the government. No, I mean, it's a competition of, of values. And if you if your your values have been dominant for a very long time, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, you know, uh, random you know uh, person on the political left, your values have been dominant for most of the last fifty years. There's been slight breaks of slight right leans inside the the Peronist uh, party, which is called the ju ju just 
<laughs> see, I'm going to mess this up now. Justicialist, <laughs> Justicialist. <laughs> party. And uh, uh, there's been some little right conservative leaning reforms that have been put in along the way. And those happened, by the way, to coincide with slightly better economies every time they did it. But uh, they found ways to, to screw this up. And I think we should have a conversation of who they are and how, how they did get there. So you said Peronist and judici judicialist. Is that no justice? Yes. Justicialist. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll explain where this word comes from. First off, okay, so, let's talk uh, about Peronism, yeah, right? Get, get back to Peron, because, you know, Ava Perone was a big deal and turned to the wife of that, the first wife of Juan Perone. Right. She dies in her 30s from cancer. Uh, she raised, she, her, her husband was the president and she became the vice president. Uh, Perone's second wife also is vice president of the country later and she succeeds him and becomes president. She actually becomes the first woman president of the company. Uh, of the country. So Juan Perón is uh, an author authoritarian figure. Uh, his movement or his party was built on a cult of personality with him at the center. And throughout the time since, the party, the people that are in the party appealed to him the same way that a Republican might appeal to Ronald Reagan or a Democrat might appeal to FDR and maybe even more slightly in breathless cultish tones. Um, the main... Uh, he starts in the 40s, and the main uh, sources of his inspiration at the time, you know, this is before uh, the world was totally uh, angered at fascism, uh, was Benito Mussolini. Mussolini had a big uh, influence on him. Uh, Br then British labor, uh, laborism, and, and the American New Deal. These were things that were all influential on him at, at the time. So could, could you say he was a benevolent dictator? No, no. The, he did not care for dissent. Uh, he okay. and his wife did not care for dissent. Um, and so they, 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 uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a tiny bit of an analogy here in a little bit as to who he is, okay. but, um, they did not, uh, they responded very, he in rhetorically heavy handed fashion to any, any type of dissent. And they did have, uh, some authoritarian tendencies when it came to even using law to punish their political opponents. Um, so, um, his problem in going to Argentina was it bringing a socialism, which was considered an atheist philosophy, probably wasn't going to sell very well in a predominantly Catholic country. Sure, yeah. So that's where just justicialism comes in. Uh, it is Christian socialism. So when you hear justicialism, think Christian socialism. It's the idea. It's a synthesis between Christian social theory or Catholic social theory with socialism. Um. So. Uh, what does this mean, though? Uh, by the way, that becomes the name of the party. The ju ju justi uh, Justicialist Party becomes the name of the party. And so, but Peronism is an easier word to say, and it really is kind of the philosophy that underlines all this. Same thing? And, yes, yes. Okay. Um, and and so it is, how do we describe Peronism? It's, it's actually really, really difficult. It's a little bit like nailing jello to a wall. It kind of is what it needs to be when it needs to be that thing. Okay? So it can change so, shapes around. Yeah, it's very shape-shifting. It's very flexible might be a nice way to put it, a, okay. a, a, a gracious way to say it, okay? Flexible. But it is a, it's primarily a mix of, of populism and corporatism. So populism is usually trying to reach out to the people, right? And we're going to take care of you. We're going to make sure your lives are great. Okay, yay, our lives yeah. are going to be great because Perone is in charge, right? Yeah. 
but it corporatism is where we reach out to the business community and we tend to make industry great. So what this ends up what ends up practically happening when you're trying to buy off both of these groups is that it's a buy off. It it is literally like taking the public till and taking the force of the state and using it in whatever way you need between those two, almost like it's a slider. You know, we're going to go a little bit more labor right now. We're going to go a little bit more uh, corporate right now. We're going to do this thing. We're going to do this, this delicate dance, and everybody gets something out of it, right? Got it, yeah. So there's got, you know, if you're playing that game, somebody's got to lose, and that's the taxpayers and the citizens. It's the devastation that starts to be wreaked in the economy from everybody being bought off by the government. But it also explains why people vote for it. Right. They keep voting for it because they don't want their specific program or entitlement or benefit or contract taken away from them. Makes perfect sense. Sure. So this flexibility and this total control of the economy has allowed this system to stay in place. There was an interruption in Perone's leadership. Um, but since the 70s, this has been the dominant view. And this started for this country all the way back in the 40s. So this is. This is a long-held dominant political movement that Javier Malay is potentially breaking right now that has been running the country for a very long time. Now, the, the, just to be clear how flexible they are, it's it's kind of like being in a one-party city or a one-party state where, you know, one party's got the whole thing, you know, sewn up lock, stock, and barrel, and, and they start developing competition within the party or start to be wings of the party. Sure. Okay. Um, so think, you know, like in the ninth, in, in, think you could have like a conservative Democrat, you could have a liberal Republican, right? Yeah. But it's even more so, it's more pronounced there. They have wings. And so uh, during times of economic contraction, when they got to start to get their house in order and, and more conservative elements take over, they bring a little bit more of traditional values. They say the reason that this has happened is we've lost sight of our traditional values. Sound familiar? Yeah, I can hear that here. And then on the flip side, most of the time, the Judicialist Party prefers to be progressive and spread its wings, and they have a more progressive social justice ethos that, of course, also is funded by the state. So it sums up into a form of national socialism. Now, remind me, because I've forgotten, every so often in my lifetime, you hear about Argentina is about to default on their debt. You remember hearing that? Yes. Yes. And it, it, uh, by the way, it's, it's it's a typical theme for a lot of countries around the planet. Okay, makes sense because you can't you know print your way out of. <laughs> they cannot. The only country that can get away with that on the planet with impunity is the United States of America. So far, so far, and so that far. is because we we have hegemony, which is a fancy way of saying we are the empire that dominates the globe militarily speaking and we also have the very biggest we have the we have the biggest economy we have the the place that everyone wants to come and trade and so you know there's a saying that when the united states economy gets a cold the rest of the world gets a flu right. or pneumonia right? right it's just it's really bad for the rest of the world so the things that happen here like the you know we had a great depression but it impacted the rest of the world much harder yeah. and that's the fertile ground in which, for example, comes up, right? Yep. You don't have that happen without the United States. So 
there are international agencies, particularly the IMF, that are out there to help facilitate loans to um, to Argentina. Yeah, I, I don't want to get too far off on this tangent because um, where it really hits home is considering here in America, which of our uh, native politicians are most Peronist or most judicialist? Well, so this is an irony of ironies. This is incredibly ironic. The person that would probably be the closest to a Peronist in American politics today, the, the, the name that everyone would know and recognize, would be Donald J. Trump. And, and I say this not be, be for very specific, clear reasons. I'm saying from on a policy basis, trade restrictions, the idea that, uh, that, that we should have a kind of an America first attitude, this nationalist streak. This is very much a hallmark. It's not, he is not a traditional free market uh, economic thinker, which is, which had been a, a dominant force in the Republican Party, even though I don't know that they were successful. It had been a, a you at least had to pay lip service to it. He doesn't pay any lip service to it. And he slapped protectionist tariffs everywhere he could. And he put trade restrictions down in places that he could. And he wants to stop the free movement of goods and services and human beings across the border. Uh, to try to rebuild the American economy. It's a protectionist approach saying we've got to put America first. And a Peronist would say we've got to put Argentina first. So is Malay echoing Trump? No, this is the thing that's really interesting is because Trump has basically said, I am endorsing you. And this is because this is the way it's selling back home in the media. So I don't know if you remember, but hydroxychloroquine, the president oh, sure. uttered the word hydrox. Uh, he, he didn't even know how to pronounce it. He said, "You know, we have this drug that people can. It's magic. You know, it's HCQ. It, it's great." Where, but hydroxychloroquine uh, was uh, as part of a, a a package of materials, a package of of pharmaceutical interventions, a cocktail, as it's sometimes called, uh, was effective. I've written about this. We've talked about this here on the show. Was effective at reducing if it was taken early enough, uh, um, incidents of hospitalization and death uh, for people who had... So <laughs> this this got suppressed because Donald Trump said it. And now the other similarity is that this guy's kind of out there. He's got this real messy, bushy hair that he doesn't comb. It's like really goofy looking. He's got these long mutton sideburns to go with it. It's really, it's just kind of atrocious looking. And he talks much more crass than Trump. And so his style has been compared to Trump. And here's the thing that's really being compared to Trump is the fact that he's an outsider. Mm -hmm. He's not part of yep. the official establishment. So they're bemoaning, for example, the death, potential death. We'll get to the, this in more detail in a moment of the central bank system there. Right. Why would uh, the establishment in the United States care about the existence of a central bank in Argentina? Like, it, it's just kind of weird, and clearly this isn't working for them. They're very poor, and why the focus on some of his right-wing positions on social issues that he's taken, which are very much in the back in terms of what he's there to do and what he believes he's about. Right. Why the emphasis on those issues back here at home and the attempt to tie it to Trump? Well, Trump, of course, has taken full advantage of this and said, sure, he's like me. Right, we're two peas in a pod. I can't wait to visit with him. I can't wait to. I'm going to make a trip to Argentina because he's me. But policy-wise, Trump is no Hayekian. He's no Rothbardian. Not even close. 
not even remotely close. Trump is much more like the people that Malay has fought who would socialize things, who would do things to put Argentina first, which would mean that they would dramatically reduce opportunities for trade, increase regulation and taxes. Malay's actually proposing straight out just to get to get rid of a lot of that. Oh yeah, he's you've seen the video of him ripping off the government agencies off the whiteboard and tossing them aside. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Get rid of them yeah. all. That sounds yeah. libertarian. Yeah. So Malay's plan then is uh first off to cut spending and and privatize a significant portion of the services that are provided by government. But some institutions he just flat out is saying the government doesn't need to be involved in. Just period. Okay. Downsizing the government. Yeah. Radically. So, so that radically. And so uh and that's important uh, because the other thing and the thing that he's best known for in terms of policy pro- proposals is what's called dollarization. Right. This is so interesting to me. So he will he will dump his equivalent of the Federal Reserve in Argentina to hitch the star to the Federal Reserve, the unelected people who make monetary policy decisions that sit in America. This is his big plan. So so what a typical nation central bank is really all about, and ours to a large degree too, is the ability to m- manipulate currency so that you can cover up other sins that your economic sins you're committing. Right. The inflation De- band-aid, we know. Yeah. Deficit spending being the biggest one, right? We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Remember, we said they're going to buy off all these constituencies. We're going to do all these things. And then the way we're going to pay off the debt is we're going to inflate the currency. Yeah. And this has not really worked because uh, debt as part of uh, of the deal, the hegemonic, hegemonic deal we've got across the planet is all dollarized. So these IMF loans that go to Argentina, they're dollar denominated. They got to be paid back in dollars. So if Argentine, if Argentine currency is losing ground, they print more of it. They walk into the bank before the exchange rate's been adjusted. They pay off some debt, and then it gets adjusted. Right? This is the game that they're playing. But it's played at the expense. This is a tax on the the, the poorest, most fixed income type citizens. Oh, sure. Poverty in the country. 40%. Because they can't buy anything. Yeah. Everything's gotten too expensive. And it just, you can't even... I, it's impossible. Imagine 140% in inflation rate. You can't. So you're complaining. We Americans are complaining about the fact that, you know, over the last two years, roughly, year and a half, you know, we've seen uh, prices on some goods go up by as much as 60%. Sure. There have been some goods that have, but, but in general, you know, we're probably talking about more like a 10, 11% inflation rate. And I know that's going to get letters right now. People are going to write me and start telling me I'm all wrong about this, but, but, We've been able to moderately adjust to this. This is hurt. But imagine that that's something you have to go through weekly. Not every in a year and a half's time. Weekly. Yeah. Weekly. Prices go up weekly. I, I it just, you know, daily. I mean, it's it's absurd. So they took <laughs> he is saying the strongest currency in the world, the one that we have to denominate our debts in is the dollar. We're going to go to the dollar. We are going to dollarize our economy. We're not going to have a central bank where they play these games with the people's money and they are able to diminish the value of your money. 
Now, how are we going to do that? Well, this is the hardest thing of all. And no politician, you know, there's people that have walked around saying, I'm for reduced government. I'm for limited government. I'm for downsizing government. I run into people when we were downsized DC all these years to say, oh, yeah, I'm all for that. No, you're not. They, they, <laughs> I know every, you. You're going to have to explain that statement. Every year they increase the spending. And everybody's got their favorite pet programs that cannot be cut. Nothing could be laid on the altar at all. And what ends up happening is that the two parties get together. And this is one of the reasons I hate bipartisanship is they get together and they say, you know what? You're right. I don't want to take your stuff away. Just don't take my stuff away. Oh, we're agreed. We're going to buy both of our stuff. How are we going to do this? Oh, we're going to deficit spend. And how are we going to pay for that? We'll just print more money. And we've been fortunate because... We're kind of like the nation that has outrun the other guy that's running away from the bear, right? Right, right. We didn't we didn't have to outrun the bear. We only had to outrun the other nations behind us, all of whom were borrowing and needing to convert their money back into dollars to stay on top of it. All of them have to buy oil that way as well. Yeah. So we're able to outrun this for now, but I, you know who knows for how much longer. There's been tremors. There's been earthquakes. We've experienced a couple of things along the way in the last uh, 55, 60 years that should, you know, be cause for concern and, uh, you know, seems to be building to a head potentially. This guy, though, right now is saying, this is the strongest currency in the world. This is the way we have to pay our debt. We're going to have an honest accounting. We're just going to do this in dollars. And the only way we can do this is to cut spending. And we're going to cut some taxes too, so we can get the economy moving again. So that means we have to cut spending even more. We are really going to put this back in the hands of the people and allow them to dig themselves out. And this is a libertarian uh, vision. Now, you know, it's still a challenge because he's got a, there's a, an elaborate web of price and currency controls that were put in by these various parentist administrations. And it's going to be very hard to pull these things back and not have an explosion of new price increases be the, uh, be, it's very likely that those are going to, those will happen in the, in the short term. So he's got a lot to navigate here. Sure. But, I, but there's actually a bigger thing. There's actually a bigger thing that I'm concerned about here. Uh, just on a, on a experiential level, uh, M. Stanton Evidence uh, had this great quote. He said, as soon as one of ours gets in a position to do something, they cease to be one of ours. <laughs> How true. And there is already just in the days since he's been elected. We didn't do the show the night that he was elected. We're doing this a few days after. There is already initial evidence that he's starting to back off a tiny bit on the things that he said in his campaign. And I'll give you a tiny one. The gentleman that he had selected out that everybody knew he was going to pick to head the central bank, whose primary job was going to be to close the central bank, did not accept the job when he was offered this week. And neither of them have commented as of the time that we're doing this broadcast. But <laughs> the implication would be that he's not ready to pull, he's not ready to move quite as fast as he talked about during the campaign. He's supposed to take office on December 10. And he might want to, you know, calibrate and plan and maybe, you know, go a little bit slower. That would be a big mistake. If you're going to do this radical surgery, you got to do it hard and all at once. And all the price of it's got to be paid right up front. And I got to say to everyone here in earshot, I'm speaking to you as a libertarian right now. Utopia is never one of the options. This is axiomatic. This is like gravity. A utopia is never one of the options. 
So I guarantee that if he does the right thing, there will be things, there will be people whose oxes are gored and people who are upset with how uh, some of the initial outcome uh, or results that they're getting. I would compare it to drug recovery. The, the initial period of it is the worst. And if you just kind of, you know, if you, you start to go through withdrawals and they get really bad and then you're like, you know what, I'm just going to take a little bit of drugs to take those, hold off the withdrawals symptoms. And then, okay. But then you're still going to have to go through that again, and you're going to end up delaying or prolonging a process and maybe never getting to the point where you get to recovery. It's got to just happen all at once, and it may have to be painful It's in, in, in its initial uh, stages. Wow. And, and Economic and I, recovery is now the equivalent of substance abuse recovery. I think that's I, honest. I think it's going to, it's really hard for a politician to stick with substance abuse recovery. In this case, I don't think they yeah. can do it. I, I just, it's really hard. And I'll tell you what compounds. Well, let, let's compound this for a second. I, I just, cause I, I've got some real concerns. I've got real concerns and I want them all clear and on the record. Yeah. If I did this show for anything today, it's this moment now. Okay. The house, his party only got 37 of 257 seats in the Senate. His party only got eight of 72 seats. What is his actual ability to govern? What level of cooperation is he going to get? How will he go about achieving consensus? Bill, if he's compelled, this is, I was saying this for a couple of months before he was elected because I had friends that were getting excited. I'm like, this might be too soon. This might be premature for this movement. They might not have enough base to pull off their policy agenda here. This has to happen. It has to be thorough and complete. It's got to be, we, they've got to give it the full, what they call the full college try, right? Got right. to do the whole, yeah. the full. They're not, if they don't do it because he has to make coalition deals. If he becomes the least bit concerned with staying in power, if they're able to depose him in some way, right? Through whatever means of ch and chicanery that politicians engage in. We're watching that happen here in our country too. When you see that happening, will he still be able to stick to his guns on this issue? Will he get sidetracked into other uh, side issues? If he can stay on this issue, if he can get consensus and he can do everything that he was supposed to do quickly, then they have a chance. They have a chance. But it won't be instant. It won't be evident. And the opposition is going to be huge. And the whole world is going to report it as an absolute catastrophe. And it, it'll take it, but in, if it get, it's given two to five years and, 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 and allowed to, fl to flourish, then the people themselves will flourish. The turnaround will be miraculous. But the odds that that happens, that a politician sticks to his guns on this are so low that he gets support. And then every state has a deep state. There are people in the right. bureaucracy who are going to fight at every turn. They are going to not cooperate. They will use legal means. They will use passive aggressive means, and they will use outright strikes and defiance to keep from doing what they're supposed to do. And they will lie if that's what they have to do. They will find ways to charge him with things if that's what they have to do. All of this is a possibility. And the more he sticks to his guns, the more likely all of these things are to happen. And I just, with the odds of 37 on your side out of 257 or eight out of 72, I can't help thinking right now that God tends to be on the side of the bigger battalions, right? Where, how are you going to settle this? Now, maybe he can hold out and fight and get another election where he can improve the level of power that he's got. 
but Argentina is burning with 100 to 140% inflation rate with a poverty rate that's topping out now at 40%. Do they really have the time to wait for that? And so those are my concerns. I, I'm, I really think the realistic possibility is that the odds of failure are high. And as a libertarian, I'm concerned. Well, you can see this painting libertarians, you know, black for the rest of eternity. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. This is the biggest thing that's happened in the entire history of the libertarian movement since it started. We've not elected a president before. There's people pretending that certain people are this or that, or they're close to libertarian, or they're mostly libertarian or whatever. Nobody has actually come out and said, you know, quoted Hayek and Rothbard and gotten elected to be president of the country and then proceeded to govern that way. Nobody's done the, that. those three things. Nobody's done that. And this guy's out there saying, I'm libertarian. And so when libertarianism, when his libertarianism fails, when it doesn't turn things around, because he gives up too soon, or he can't get the consensus necessary to govern, or the deep state fights him. When any one of those things, or all of those things happen, and he flips, or he gets sidetracked into some other issue, it'll be libertarianism that gets blamed. They'll say, see, you elected a libertarian down there, and it didn't work. So, and the hardest thing, our politicians at home can't do it, our politicians in other countries can't do it, because they're buying off people with the tax dollars. They can't cut the spending. The hardest thing to do here isn't the de-dollarization. The hardest thing to do here is to stop spending the money. Making those cuts is going to gore some oxes, and people are not just going to sit by and take that. That's the hardest part. If he doesn't downsize, it will not work. Can he sell this? Is popular support one way He's going to have to. He's going to have to. So He's far, he hasn't been be honest, right? He, he hasn't told people what they're in for. You know, that recovery period. That, um, the, uh, I think he has in a way, because that's part of how crass he's been. He has suggested that his opponents are murderous, that they always get what they want, because at the end of the day, if they don't, they kill people, and that they're willing to destroy you economically. You're their enemy, too, if you oppose them in any way. So I think there is some degree to which he's been honest, but he's got a tough road ahead of him. It is definitely going to require a, a lot of communication. Anything that we can do here in the world's largest economy to help support this? No, they have to do it for themselves. Um, but I, I'm concerned that my American friends understand what actually happened here. And I want to be on record at the beginning of this administration to say that the only way you can call him libertarian is if it turns out he actually governs that way. Yes, yes. That's the point, right? Yes. Other concerns? I, I think there's some grace points to raise before we we sign off. Okay. Um, I, I First, I want to encourage people not to trust the regime media on this. Anybody that would come out with an oxymoron, like, you know, extreme right-wing libertarian, and put that in a headline, like they're serious, like they're educated, cannot be trusted. Um, propaganda and tribalism, neither one of these things are gracious. And so don't trust the regime media here. Uh, and And second... Given the point that I just spent a lot of time belaboring about being actually governing libertarian, I would be especially wary of the early reports coming out. Uh, see, I told you so. If he's actually implementing libertarian policies, um, he's there's a recovery period. There's a there's a time during which people the the country is going to be going through some withdrawal from the socialist drug it's been on all this time, and 
I want you to watch how libertarian he actually turns out to be instead. I guess I am asking, usually I'm advocating for giving grace, but as someone who has been associated with the libertarian movement since the mid-90s professionally, uh, been involved in the libertarian movement, worked on a libertarian presidential campaign as a paid staff person, um, as someone who's done those things. I'm not a Libertarian Party member at this point, uh, but I tend to vote Libertarian, and I have, still have a lot of friends in the Libertarian Party. Um, I'm asking that you and that you wait. Just wait and see. That's the grace I'm asking for today. Wait and see. Yeah. And if he doesn't govern Libertarian, then don't blame Libertarianism. But if he does, and he sticks to his gun, and you wait, then I assure you, it won't be utopia. That's never one of the options. But better days are ahead for Argentina.